Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. Welcome to another American Cinematographer podcast. I'm Jean Oppenheimer, contributing writer for American Cinematographer magazine. Today, I'll be talking to Amy Vincent, ASC, about her most recent film, Footloose. Amy, Footloose is a real departure in story, tone, and imagery from the two earlier films that you and director Craig Brewer collaborated on. Hustle and Flow, for which you won the Best Cinematography Award at Sundance, and Black Snake Moan. What did Brewer say when he first approached you about the project? One of the first things he said to me, and that was a really good question, is that he needed to give the audience a really good foundation as to why in contemporary 2011 United States of America that dancing would be outlawed. And so he made the choice to make the opening of the movie very visceral, very impactful, and to hopefully engage the audience in the severity and the emotional devastation that happened in that town when those five kids died. And um, it definitely, it's definitely a, a very bold choice, and it's you're not expecting it. The movie opens with a slightly referential um, feet dancing, even Craig Brewer's feet are in there. Mine aren't because I can't dance, but um, <laughs> it's referential but not derivative, if that's the right choice of words, I'm not sure. But uh, the last thing you're expecting, I think, is that impactful moment. And I don't want to be, actually, I should say, spoiler alert, there'll be a few of them. <laughs> Uh, well, I was good. my next question uh, was about something that happens in the film, and um, I don't know if it's a spoiler alert, but at one point um, there's a car accident, and I really liked the way you shot the aftermath of the crash. Uh, there was a down shot, sort of the damage, um, smoke, silhouettes of cops and cop cars, uh, sort of out of focus. And I thought the images really captured the shock and tragedy of the accident, but it was almost a dreamlike feel. Can you talk about that scene? Well, first of all, hats off to my second unit director of photography, Pat Capone, because he shot most of that material, although the shots were designed by Craig Brewer and myself. Originally, there was a very specific transition that was going to go from the that long dolly shot across the flares and the flashing lights that was going to transition into a kind of homemade high school student memorial altar at the high school. And um, that ended up not being in the movie, but the, the vibe is there that there's already, it's, it's an aftermath kind of thing. And, you know, it's hard to actually pinpoint, but there's something about the way the focus plays in that shot that I really love. It's like the focus is played really close, so the flares are in focus, and all the activity of, you know, firemen and ambulance people is soft in the background. And that's something I love to do when I can, is place the focus in a not necessarily the most obvious place, but it gives it an ethereal feel. And um, 
it was also that was a challenging location it being a bridge and literally over water and uh thank you for noticing and uh i'll tell pat capone that you said that okay. <laughs> <laughs> um also was everything shot on actual locations or was there stage work everything was on location everything was practical locations no sets were built even on those locations or oh gosh let me think we were 99% location and um that's the way Craig works you know he's a very authentic director and he's very specifically a southern guy and originally he wanted to make the movie in Memphis and due to tax incentives and other things like that um, shooting in Georgia was a much more viable option for our schedule and budget but yes we were on location and we were on location in every different area of Georgia you can imagine from Athens to Sonoya Raceway where the bus the red dirt bus happens and I think I think that um, that's what Craig knows and that's where he's comfortable so studio work we did a lot of stage work on Black Snake Moan at the end, um, but Craig is more at home in an organic environment. You know, he he started making his first very first movie, The Poor and Hungry, was shot on a little high eight camera with you know clip on lights from Home Depot with his brother as the only other crew person. So I think he likes to keep it real, so to speak, and. Um, I think it's good. I think also think that it's it's very engaging for the actors, especially a young actor, to really be in the environment as opposed to be in a big soundstage with trans lights and and other stuff. I think that um, for Julianne and Kenny and Miles Teller to literally be in those places was helpful for their performance and the whole process. Another scene that I liked a lot and how it was shot was the movie Drive-In, uh, where it starts inside and then sort of takes the kids out. I mean, that whole scene I thought was great. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, okay, first of all, the music for the drive-in sequence is a redo of Dancing in the Sheets that's done by David Banner, who was in Black Snake Moan, and he's a Mississippi rap guy who's since made quite a branching out into his acting career. I actually shot a movie called The Experiment that he was in. And um, that's something about Craig that I love. This is a tiny side point, but he likes to keep, he keeps similar people, he keeps the same people with him, not just in his department heads, but he works with actors over and over again. For example, Claude, the guy that runs the the stuff yeah, he's the, in hustle yeah. and flow and black snake moon and, um, and uh there's craig just he likes to have those little like he's almost being referential to himself now however egocentric that might seem i don't think it is but it's just it's there's a certain fun in that for him but the drive-in let's see that was a that was huge in terms of lighting um mostly because it was a huge, vast, gigantic, black asphalt place. And this can bring me to just talking in general, I think, a little bit about the dance sequences. It's You want the camera to be free, and you want the actors and the dancers and the choreographer to be free with these dance numbers so that 
it was really important to me to be able to install lighting setups that would allow great versatility for Craig, being able to see 280 degrees worth of a set at any given time. And the way we approached that with my gaffer, Chris Prampen, who I've been working with for since 1996, we did our first movie together, Eve's Bayou, his first as a gaffer and my first as a DP. Um, we got together, we connected to, re to, we got together to collaborate on Footloose and um, basically the way we dealt with the dance scenarios in general was to give, uh, light up the background, always have a background all the way around the set. And for the drive-in in particular, we had a big, huge 20 by softbox on a construction crane because the drive-in was actually the sort of the most spread out of the choreography and there was an improvisational nature to it, even though it was all choreographed and planned by Jamal Sims, who's awesome um, choreographer. Um, so there was basically a slice, like 20 degree slice of the set where the chassis of the construction crane was. That was the only place that we couldn't see. And it was really, it was really kind of wonderful to be able to give Craig that freedom. Um, then we also had another thing to deal with in terms of the lighting, which was that Craig had chosen that refreshments, the, the, snack, bar. the snack bar thing to play on the screen. and. The, the quality of that purchased footage was really kind of dingy at best. And so we had, we had the light levels of the projection on the screen to deal with on top of the other stuff. And um, that was a little challenging. What about, was it one shot that started inside and then pulled to the outside as the kids walked out? Yes. Yes, and that was, you know, what we were trying to achieve there was to really put the audience in Ren's shoes. You know, all of a sudden you come out of this place and there's this whole thing going on that you had no idea. And um, it's a very simple dolly shot, no steady cam, no nothing, just, you know, moving back with the kids as they're all jumping over the rails and going down to join the dance party. And that's... That's something, Craig is just so good at setting up transitions between scenes. It's like, you know, they're, the kids are inside the diner and there's, they're talking and then all of a sudden the David Banner music kicks in and you're in the dance. And the other thing about working with Jamal Sims, the choreographer, and Craig in the context of all the dance numbers, um, and actually the drive-in was the first one that we shot. Um, there's an emotional context and a dramatic context to every dance number. It's not just a dance number for the sake of a dance number. There are characters inter, there are characters relating to one another. There's, there are things at stake, and there's things going on, dynamics going on between different characters. And you know, if you if you take take apart the drive-in sequence and you say, okay, well, you have the new kid who comes in and sees, whoa, you know even though I think I'm from the big city, there's these people that have this really cool music and they can dance and they're really into it. And then you have the girl who there's a brewing little interest between them. And then you have the dad show up in the back. And it's just a dance number for the sake of a dance number is fine. But in Footloose, we tried to give a context to all of them so that 
you need to pay attention and watch it to follow the story and what's happening with the characters. And uh, I think Craig did a great job with that. Uh, one of the things I really liked about the dance sequences is that there were a lot of wide shots. You could actually see them dancing. I, I hate it when there are films or TV shows where they just have really quick shots of the feet. Oh, that's, that's a very interesting remark because I actually, in some ways, when I see when I see Kenny Warmald, the, the actor who plays Ren, when I see his dancing, I wish there were more wide shots even because he's got such a huge overall physicality to his style of dance. He's a classically trained ballet dancer who's, you know, then segued into hip hop. You know, I think with, with shooting dance, it was, it was my first time shooting dance per se. And um, as Craig likes to say, we, we lose our virginity over and over again together. It's like it was Craig's first dance movie, my first dance movie. And we kind of try to approach it without a derivative feel. Like I didn't go and watch Step Up 3D or whatever. I just worked very closely with the choreographer and kept the emotional and narrative context of the scene in mind. And that informs the shots. You know, you basically have all these different dramatic energies going on. There's a wide shot of, of Kenny coming across the drive-in and then we get in tight right away. And I mean, feet are really important in dance. In yes, shooting dance, true. feet are really important, but also you want to have emotional connection, so you want to get in tighter. And so you kind of got to offer it all up and then entrust the editors to find those beats. And so we tried to cover everything wide and then we tried to cover the feet, so to speak. My favorite foot shot is the dolly shot in the final dance sequence where we follow the line of male dancers across yes. the dance yes. floor and then the female dancers come across and there's a really rapid change of direction in the in the dolly move. It's like literally we go flying across to the right and then almost instantaneously change direction back to the left. And they were literally like five grips on either end of the dolly track to take the to change the direction and it's pure and simple inertia and it's to me it's it's very simple as a shot but it really works so when i went to the movie everybody looked like a teenager apparently the actress who plays ariel is not what did you do to make her look so young <laughs> um well let me start at the beginning before um while we were in pre-production I did a lot of research, mostly on the internet and some of the like People magazine and other stuff of collecting shots of Julianne that were not lit, not airbrushed, not country music video, but like, you know, on the red carpet with unfinessed lighting. And I collected a whole folder of those and I studied them and then Vivian Baker, who is our fantastic makeup artist, and Manny, our fantastic um, hair man. Um, we all looked at the, those photographs together, and Manny and Vivian came up with the idea that we needed to build some contrast in Julianne's look. She had very platinum, whitish blonde hair, and um, so it was a very close collaboration. And the studio was very involved because, of course, they want to know exactly what their store is going to look like. But Manny did a fantastic job with Julianne's hair. And there were, there were a few different stages of color they worked through, getting the right brunette. 
And, um, you know, Vivian is just, she's an exquisite makeup artist. And she, you know, they basically designed her look. And we all did the research together. And then I come in after they've designed her look. And we work very carefully on the lighting of her. And by the way, her eyes are real, even though they look I like... I <laughs> They that. look... That her eyes are so ice blue that they look like alien invasion. But, um, you know, I think that that, that is a case of... You know, Adam Goodman and his people at Paramount were very, very, very involved in the final decision-making on Julianne's look. We did a few rounds of, of hair and makeup tests. And um, the proof is really in the pudding, really. When you, you get down to it, it's like Manny's hair, you know, Julianne's got a lot, she's got a lot of hair extensions mm -hmm. in and the color and everything. And her hair looks perfect no matter whether she's, you know, flying the flag outside of the race car on the dirt track or she's getting pushed down to the ground by her bad boyfriend. and. That's a great testament to the people who are taking care of her in terms of her look. And um, she also has freckles. Vivian put freckles on her. And there was that, there's something about the little freckle that just gives a younger feel. But also just giving credibility or credit, credit to everybody. It's like Julianne is an actress. She's not a Dancing with the Stars only person. She's a very, very good actress, and ultimately it's her performance and her presence on screen that makes you believe that she's younger. And we all come in and help with lighting and hair and makeup and wardrobe. And um, so I, my hat's off to her, really, for that. I also wanted to ask more about Craig Brewer, uh, your relationship. Everybody with does. <laughs> You've made three films with him. Obviously, you guys have a great relationship. Um, how did you first get together, and what is it that makes this team work so well? Well, let me answer the first part. Um, how we first got together was I was shooting a second unit on a motorcycle movie called Biker Boys that was being produced by Stephanie Elaine, who is our, she was not a producer on Footloose, but she was a producer of Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan. She and I went to college together 30 years ago. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> she was a dancer, and I was a lighting designer in the theater arts department at UC Santa Cruz. And that was our initial connection. Then, you know, cut to however many years later, and we were finally working together. And she handed me this dirty VHS tape one day, and she said, I really want you to watch this. And I was like, oh, no. It's like her son's bad student movie or something. But it turned out that it was The Poor and Hungry, which was Craig's, Craig Brewer's very first movie, which she had discovered at the Hollywood Film Festival, I think it was called at that time. So I went home and I watched this movie, and it was absolutely amazing. It was shot in high eight. Do you remember that format? <laughs> you probably weren't even born when I came. <laughs> um, it was shot in black and white, high eight with clip-on lights from Home Depot and, you know, Craig was doing the sound while his brother-in-law was his only crew person. And it was just, you could feel, you could just feel the command from, and I had no idea what Stephanie's reasoning behind giving me this movie was, but I watched it and I said, I can't believe that shot where they lift the car up out of the junkyard and they stay on the hubcap, you know. It was like very, very visual, very specific, and it didn't really matter that it was shot in high eight, it was so compelling as a you know young filmmaker's vision. So then she get handed. She said, "Okay, you passed the test." 
like I think she needed to know that I could see it, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's the it that makes Craig Brewer it. And um, she gave me the script for Hustle and Flow, and I opened, you know, I always try to read a script um, as if I'm watching a movie, especially the first time I read it, because it's important to take those experiences that you have in reading stuff and make them manifest them visually in the script. And if you don't do it the first time you read the script, then you've lost that virginity thing. And I remember, like, okay, I'm going to read the script, and I put myself in a spot in my office and I started to read and there's this dialogue that it's like do people really talk like that was what I was saying and it's like who are these people and I remember to this day I remember that feeling of the first four pages of that script of saying okay this has to be a very 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 slow unveiling of this world these people this environment and so Craig and I designed a shot, and I remember telling Craig, it's like, I want my experience of reading those first four pages to translate into this one shot that's going to take us all the way into the title sequence. And, you know, we start really, really, really tight on Terrence Howard's mouth and the gold grill and the, you know, the, he's smoking and there's this thickness in the air, the humidity, and it's a tiny, it's a very simple shot, but it was, it was, it starts really tight on his mouth and you know we're a tiny budget movie and we can't get the door off the car and you know it's very slow dolly move pulling back as he's talking saying man ain't like a dog and um you know you slowly eventually you see you know you start with the gold teeth and the cigarette and then you keep pulling out and then you see this guy who's got this weird curls in his hair and he's talking, and slowly, 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 you keep seeing more and more and more, and he, the whole monologue, the whole opening monologue plays in that one shot. And um, I have a funny story. It took us nine takes to get it, between focus, performance, everything. And Stephanie, in her awesomeness, she came running over, and she's like, we're not doing any more dolly shots for the rest of this movie. <laughs> and um, the next day, she got, you know, she got a call, or I'm not saying the next day, when the movie finally opened, she got a call from Carl Franklin telling her that he thought that that was the best opening shot of a movie that he'd seen in a really long time. So then she let me do another dolly shot. No. Um, you know, I think that, that Craig and I both make it personal. And um, it, comes, it really does come from the heart. And even though Footloose has a certain in, inherent commercial appeal, it's like Craig took it so seriously and it came it comes from the heart he was very 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 devoted to dean pitchford's original script but he was also he was hired because he has a different voice and he can work in different genres of music whether it be country hip-hop or vintage metal quiet riot is in the movie by the way bang your head oh okay metal health <laughs> um you know our our partnership comes from it's almost like we grew up together in a way and um i can stand next to craig on set and know exactly what's going on with him just by looking at the height of his eyelids on his eyes the way the light reflects off the top of his beautiful eyelashes and we're connected on that level i feel like he's my family and it's it comes from it's it's devotion but it's also having he has crazy mad respect for me and that just makes me better 
every day. And, um, you know, when somebody is devoted to you, then you become devoted to them. And, you know, the, all three movies that we've done together are very different, very, very different, different in style, different in look, but there's something that's uniquely the Brewer-Vincent combo. And um, can't wait to do it again, I'll yeah. tell you. <laughs> um, but, and I feel really lucky. I mean, I think it's one of the things that's kept me afloat in this crazy movie business is having such a lovely person to collaborate with. He's he's a gentle, kind human being. He's absolutely, to me, he's, he's so smart and he knows stuff that I don't know and that keeps me on my toes. And I can't tell you what that is because if I knew what it was, then I would probably know it. Yes, but you know things he doesn't. One example is that opening shot of Hustle and Flow. You know, it's funny, a lot of directors are you know, right there in the digital intermediate color timing and, you know, doing their own things. And one of the things I love about Craig is that he knows that we shot the movie when we shot it. And he's usually busy on the mixing stage doing the music stuff, which is what he's super gifted at. He's gifted at the other stuff too, but he lets me do the whole thing. And then he comes in and says, that's great. He made, we had one note from the studio. <laughs> Um, with the final DI, which was that there was a little tiny little reflection of white on Julianne's upper lip during the sex scene in the race car trailer. And they asked us to, you know, take that out. And Craig said, well, if that's all they want, I think we can do it. But um, he has great confidence in me. He also has high expectations of me. And the fact that he comes in and says, oh, you know, can I just see if that's a little, we play that a little bit warmer. But he does what he does and he lets his department heads and collaborators do what they do you know billy fox who's our wonderful editor has been on all three movies with us and you know there's i think it's a really smart man a smart director who entrusts his collaborators to do what they do and he does what he does but it's not that he isn't involved he's very strongly involved um he doesn't really get involved in the lighting that much except for we have a joke because he looks at it and he's going isn't that really bright <laughs> and, um, and then i'll take a digital still and mm -hmm. i'll show him what it's really going to look like but that's also that's something that's so great about working in film is that you can keep the mystique mm -hmm. it's like nobody really knows what it looks like until we're done amy thanks very much for coming in today and talking with us and thanks to the audience for tuning in to this American Cinematographer podcast. I'm Jean Oppenheimer. And Amy, thank you once again. This has been the American Cinematographer podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.